Our sermon series this morning continues as we look at Heroes of the Faith. It is a correlation with the World Games, which are happening here in Birmingham. That's a once-in-a-lifetime kind of thing for Birmingham to host them. It's a theme for Bible School, which will be coming um, the June the, July the 9th, and Family Fellowship coming on that Sunday the 10th out at Camp Lee. There, as we talk about who are the heroes in our faith, who has run the race before us, and given us an example that we could learn from. And we've already talked about founding heroes like Abraham, who founded a new faith and a new nation. We have talked about Moses passing on leadership from Moses to Joshua and how that took a while. Today, we're going to talk about Deborah. Now, I realize it's Father's Day, um, and we're recognizing Father's Day, but we're looking at unlikely heroes today. Sometimes God chooses the unlikely one, I invite you to hear God speaking to us through these words of Scripture out of the book of Judges, chapter 4, verses 1 through 10. After Ehud had died, the Israelites again did things that the Lord saw as evil. So the Lord gave them over to King Jabin of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. The commander of his army was Sisera, and he was stationed at Harasheth Hagoim. The Israelites cried out to the Lord because Sisera had 900 iron chariots and had oppressed the Israelites cruelly for 20 years. Now Deborah, a prophet, the wife of Lapidoth, was a leader of Israel at that time. She would sit under Deborah's palm tree between Ramah and Bethel in the Ephraim highlands, and the Israelites would come to her to settle disputes. She sent word to Barak, Abinoam's son from Kadesh in Naphtali, and said to him, Hasn't the Lord Israel's God issued you a command? Go and assemble at Mount Tabor, taking 10,000 men from the people of Naphtali and Zebulun with you. I'll lure Sisera, the commander of Jabin's army, to assemble with his chariots and troops against you at the Kishon River, and then I'll help you overpower him. Barak replied to her, If you'll go with me, I'll go, but if not, I won't go. Deborah answered, I'll definitely go with you. However, the path you're taking won't bring honor to you because the Lord will hand over Sisera to a woman. Then Deborah got up and went with Barak to Kadesh, and he summoned Zebulun and Naphtali to Kadesh, and 10,000 men marched out behind him. Deborah marched out with him too. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. It's an interesting story of Deborah we find in Judges chapters 5 and 6, the story of three people, of Deborah, of Barak, and of a woman named Jael. It's the only female judge that we ever have over Israel. Now, sometimes when we think of judges, we think of you know, people in the black robes in courtrooms sitting and making official legal decisions. That's not what a judge in Israel was. A judge in Israel was someone that God raised up to help handle civil matters. They weren't elected. There was no ballot. There was no election. It was the respect of the people who saw that God's wisdom was on this person. And this is a time when Israel is now... They're a nation, but they're a, they're a loose confederation of tribes and clans. There's no real official organization, and so this tribe or two will fight with the people near them, and sometimes they'll help them fight against the people over here. 
But the whole story of the book of Judges is a downward trajectory for the people of Israel. They get worse and worse and worse, and there'll be a bright spot, a good judge, and he'll help turn things around a little bit. But from the first chapter to the end of the last chapter, it is downhill, which prepares us well for them to ask for their first king as we come into the next book of the Bible. But we have Deborah, the only female. She's also a prophet. At that time, they had priests and prophets and judges. The priests handled the official religious observances at the tent of meeting, at the tabernacle. There's still no temple yet because they haven't come in fully and built that. That won't happen until Solomon's time. So they're still using the wilderness tabernacle. And the priests are taking care of the sacrifices and the worship that happens there. But we also have the prophets, people who hear the voice of God and share what God is saying to the people. And then judges who handle the civil matters. And so Deborah is functioning as a prophet and a judge, both of which were unusual roles for her to have held. It's interesting to me that when she sends to Barak and says, hasn't God told you to do something about this? We know because the story is presented to us in song format in the next chapter of Judges. We know that there are people of Israel in the hill country and the forests, but they're separated. The settlements over here are separated from the ones over there by Canaanite satellite settlements in the middle. And so as they travel for worship and trade and for visit, they're being robbed along the way. They're having to try to go the back roads. People don't feel safe traveling. So Deborah basically says, hey, I'm doing all I can to judge and settle things and do a good job over here. I'm doing the job I'm called to do. You're the military person. I need you to go military well. I need you to take care of this. Y'all need to do something about the people who are hurting our people over there. Well, Barak is no fool. He knows what 900 iron chariots means. We are outnumbered. We are Israelite soldiers. We are warriors full of passion, full of conviction, but carrying swords and spears and knives. It's real hard when you're facing an iron chariot with a spear. He's like, but if God is telling you what he's told me, then that's confirmation I'm supposed to do this, and I'll go if you go with me. Now, some people hear in what she says back to him a little bit of her being cheeky with the general. If you need me to go with you, you understand a woman's going to get the credit for that, right? I'm not sure. I think that's possible. But she goes on to quote what it is that God has already said to Barak. Those are not her plans. Go out to this place and I'll meet you there. Those aren't her plans. Those are God's plans. God says, if you'll go here, I'll bring them and I'll give you victory over them. But I also don't think she means that he'll have to share the glory with her. I think it's another prophecy. She's saying, Jael is going to get the ultimate credit. She's the one who's going to take out the commander. Because that's the story you need to know. They do this. Out goes Barak. He, he gets, and we know that other tribes came and joined them. Several of the tribes came and they march out to face the people, and it rains. And they see the rain as God's hand in what is happening. Because you know what doesn't do well in rain? Iron chariots. 
You know what happens to iron chariots when you get in the rain and the mud? You mar up and they don't go anywhere. So they have to flee their chariots and take off on foot. And now we have a level playing field because everybody's on foot. And Sisera, the commander of the troops, goes running off and he looks to hide. And a woman named Jael says, come into my tent and hide. And then she takes him out with a tent peg. And we have the fulfillment of this story, of that prophecy of Deborah, because we still talk about Jael and the tent peg and have the story. She took out the person who was leading them. It's a very interesting story, just plopped in here like it's no big deal. But for Deborah to have been a judge made her an unlikely character to be a judge. Remember that in the, tri- in the time we're talking about, when they were tribes and clans, women were virtually property. You were part of your father's estate, and then you were transferred to your husband's estate. The primary role of a woman at the time was to be a good wife, to have children and raise them. Extraordinary women managed their household well and were thought well of. That's the Proverbs 31 woman. For Deborah to be a judge means she goes beyond just being an extraordinary woman. She is an unlikely leader, serving out of cultural expectations at the time. It calls her the wife of Lapidoth. Now, Lapidoth may be her husband's name. I think it was. But it actually means the keeper of the lamps. There have been some in rabbinic tradition in the Jewish faith. She was a woman who loved God, who sought God often and was often at the tent of meeting to pray and willing to do whatever needed to be done in that space, which included taking care of the torches and the lanterns that were used to light the tabernacle, keeping them clean of soot, keeping them in good repair so that they would burn. And so she is a keeper of the lamps. may have also been her husband's job as well. She's called a mother in Israel. And some people have said she wasn't able to have children of her own or her children are grown. All of that is speculation. What we know of Deborah is she has some wisdom and she is respected and people come from around to get her counsel on what is happening. She's an unlikely leader in that way. So even as a woman who is still an unlikely um, role for women in the Christian faith, particularly here in the South, I found myself asking, why would God choose Deborah? Why not just choose a man? Wouldn't that just be easier? We wouldn't have the controversy. We wouldn't have the distraction. We wouldn't have any of this to overcome. Wouldn't it be easier and more efficient just to use the man for the role? And what I'm struck with is that God doesn't seem to be as interested in the easy and efficient as we are. Over and over in Scripture, God turns the tables and does the unlikely thing, the uncommon thing. Over and over, there are a slew of barren women, which was considered judgment. There's some reason you're not having children. Why why didn't God like you enough? We know that it's not true, but it was the cultural perception. But over and over, barren women have significant children. Sarah, Rachel, Elizabeth give birth when they were barren. 
the likely candidate sometimes turns out not to be the best candidate. The first king of Israel was Saul, and it says he looked like a king. He's tall. He has good stature. He carries himself in public like a king would. But we come to know that Saul has deep-seated insecurities and an enormous lack of self-esteem that leads to jealousy and insecurity that ultimately brings down his throne. Solomon knows enough to ask for wisdom instead of all the trappings that come with being a king, but he got all the trappings. And all that stuff did manage to distract him from the source of the stuff. And he came to love the stuff more than he loved the source. And it pulled him away from faithfulness to the God of Israel. And over and over we have the unlikely people who are chosen. David is the youngest of his family. He is so unlikely to be chosen king, his dad doesn't even bother to have him come in and walk by the prophet with the rest of the sons. There's no way it's going to be little David. Just leave him alone. We need somebody to watch the sheep anyway. Jacob is chosen over his brother Esau, who is the older as the son of promise for that. Mary, the mother of Jesus, a young woman, unmarried, not of the priestly line, not living in Jerusalem, an unlikely person to be chosen. Over and over, God seems to choose the unlikely person for roles. You've probably heard, as I have, the saying that God doesn't always choose the equipped, but he always equips those he chooses. I believe that's true. God very often calls us to places that society thinks we're unlikely to be qualified to stand in or able to do. He calls us to do things that are unlikely to make much sense if we're just using our human intellect. But over and over, God asks us not to just use our human intellect, but to use the leading of the Holy Spirit and the way God does things differently. Because sometimes it is unlikely. This victory came because a woman was willing to hold an unlikely role and do it to the best of her ability. I had a colleague in ministry who has since retired, but I invited him to come and preach during a revival at one of my first churches, and he was powerful. His presence in the pulpit commanded attention, and he was very good, very good preacher. But he shared with that group that for about the first 18 months or so of his ministry, he vomited every Sunday. The idea of standing up in front of a congregation and preaching to them was one that made him nauseous. And so either before or after the service, he almost always had to throw up because it was uncomfortable. It's unlikely that someone who's going to get that upset standing in front of people is going to be a pastor and be a good one. That's what God called him to do. In the earlier service this morning, we were talking about the tragedy that happened at St. Stephen's Episcopal Church in Birmingham this week. And Bill Robinson pointed out that, um, I had pointed out that the congregation did exactly what they were supposed to do. They were friendly. They invited the person to sit with them, to have a plate, to join them for a meal. 
and he shot them. Bill pointed out somebody, another 70-something-year-old, picked up a chair and stopped him from shooting anybody else. In our minds, we may think it unlikely that the 70-something is the one who's going to yield the chair and save the day, but God doesn't. God chooses the unlikely. So I ask us to consider what unlikely thing is God calling you to do and me to do? What unlikely thing might he be calling us to do as a congregation? Because God went with them into the battle. God gave them the victory because they were willing to be unlikely heroes. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, help us to remember that we do not do what we do on our own. This is the church of your son, Jesus Christ. It is you who are our source. It is your Holy Spirit that works in us and through us. You haven't said, go do the best you can with the task I've given you. You've said, come, follow me, and I will help you overcome. Help us to be willing to be unlikely heroes as we share the love and grace of Jesus Christ with our world and seek to transform our community. This we ask in the name of Jesus. Amen.